good morning, everyone. Good morning. You guys are doing great today. I think I'm a little loud. Those that are back to you, if you don't mind, just turn me down a little bit. I'm naturally a loud person as it is, so. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Proverbs. Sorry, Sean, I'm still not continuing in Romans. He's going to get after me probably later. But we're still going to we're going to take a detour. Uh, I'm going to get very practical today uh, with you guys this morning. We're just going to deal with some issues here um, that I think will be very helpful uh, in your walk with the Lord. Um, very um, needful uh, in the sense of walking with Christ in the Christian life. Uh, and understanding how to, I don't always like to use the word successful because the world uses that word and we can sometimes um, mix it up into the, to, to the Christian world and um, it can get very distorted and you can get the wrong view of the gospel and the wrong view of the Christian faith. Um, but when I talk about successful, uh, I'm saying that God has given us in his word, ways to, by which the believer uh, can walk in holiness. It's not an impossible task. I mean, I know at times it can seem like an impossible task. I know there's times where we get caught up in patterns and we break those patterns. And, it, and I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've, I've been there before uh, many times where I uh, keep repeating the same, the same sin, right? You keep doing the same thing and you think to yourself, is there... Uh, is there any way to be able to alleviate this and remove this? Because I'll tell you one thing that doesn't work, guilt. I mean, holy guilt from the Spirit of God does. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, don't get me wrong. But um, just guilt alone, trying to stop a sin uh, just through being guilty, um, usually works maybe for about a week. And it usually returns uh, with more power. Right? You got all the test to that. Isn't that true? Well, I would like to go through Proverbs uh, chapter 3, 1 through 12 today and really deal with that subject. Proverbs chapter 3, 1 through 12. Really, the Lord really lays out here very clearly in his word. I mean, obviously not the totality of the entire Bible on how to walk in, 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 in holiness, but uh, really in these 12 verses really gives insights in how we can we can um, we can walk in a way where we're liberated from besetting sins and addictions and and things like that. So, um, starting in verse one, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about your neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, as we begin, we just want to begin with you. Lord, we seek you first this morning above anything else. For the Bible tells us very clearly to seek you first and your righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto us. So Lord, we focus upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We exalt him above this day. Uh, this is the Lord's day. Um, this isn't our day. This, is, this, this day belongs to the Lord as every day belongs to the Lord. But this one we have set aside uh, to worship our Savior. Lord, help us to do that in the spirit of truth and love and honesty and faithfulness, Lord, and loyalty. May the Spirit of God be pleased to come into this congregation, into this house today, and into the very house of our being, into our homes, of our, our hearts, and really illuminate the Word of God. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Uh, give us eyes to see. Give us the understanding that we would understand what it is that you are trying to communicate. Not what Jeff's trying to communicate, but what the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is trying to communicate to us this morning. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you are in any way like myself, you will uh, quickly realize how fast your faith can decline when you decide to do life your own way, right? When anxiety and fear overtake us, when we look at a problem or situation that seems beyond our control, and instead of heeding Christ's words, when he says in Matthew 6, 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, uh, do not be anxious about your life. Or in Philippians 4, when Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. But life isn't just about fear and anxiety, tragedy and pain. Its, it's ultimate goal is about living a godly life. A life totally devoted to God. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You realize that? You guys come to that place yet in your Christian walk that you you don't belong to yourself? That you uh, you belong to God. You belong to God. He owns you. He twice owns you. He owns you uh, creatively because he created you. He's God. He created you. He owns you whether you're converted or unconverted. He's God and he still owns you. But you're twice redeemed when you come to Christ. You're twice owned. Your own creatively and your own redemptively, uh, which is beautiful. Uh, so God owns us. You know, He even owns your thoughts. You don't have the right to think that you way, the way you want to think. Do you realize that? There's nothing autonomous from God. God owns our entire existence. So He goes on to say, not to be anxious about anything. Paul says that God owns us, and He says, "You were bought with the price. Therefore, therefore, glorify God in your body and not just in your body." In your spirit, in the mind, which are God's. Second Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer trouble, will have persecution. And, and this is the idea here. Living a godly life, listen, living a godly life will bring trouble. You realize that? You don't have to go out looking for trouble. There's tons of trouble in the world. We've talked about trouble in the past through recent sermons. You don't have to go out and look for problems if you're living a godly life. 
If you live a godly life, you're going to have problems because the world will come looking for you or you'll just stick out like a sore thumb. But we are to take it patiently in which the Bible says in 1 Peter is commendable before God. He says when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. This is pleasing before God. As when we do good and we suffer for doing good, this is a commendable attribute. So these 12 verses of Proverbs, the wisdom of God in this chapter, gives us the prescription to live a godly life and to persevere without falling into sin. Let me just uh, make this claim really quick that the Bible is written for a believer, not an unbeliever. We know a lot of a lot of self-help gurus and motivational speakers will quote from the Bible or quote from Proverbs. The wisdom, obviously, surpasses all things. I mean, obviously, even the ungodly can apply certain principles uh, in God's word and get results in the sense of, of, you know, finances and different things. But the reality, when these things are being spoken, these are being spoken to those who are of God. These are spoken to believers, spoken to you this morning. So we want to take that into context and realize that when we're reading the word here, this is not just a general, generic reading to all the world. It's really specifically to God's people. So these 12 uh, short verses um, pertaining to living a godly life and also to persevere without falling into sin which is walking in faith and honesty and having a sound mind, which we know that having a sound mind brings with it stability, stability and firmness of life, a life that cannot be gained or established by any other way uh, than by which God has prescribed in his word. I've outlined five ways to keep what the Bible says to keep you from falling, to keep you from falling. I think this is extremely important. Or we could say uh, the preventative power of God. Prevention, but not just prevention. The preventative power of God. It's the, it's the Spirit of God that illuminates His people and gives them uh, prescriptive ways in how to walk and be able to overcome and not to keep falling in the same traps over and over again, repeating the same sin, the besetting sins over and over and over um, Hebrews 12 one says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily, this is what we're talking about here, the easily ones in your life, the ones that, you know what I'm talking about, the ones that keep occurring, reoccurring, and you keep trying. It's not saying that you you um, aren't a godly person or your motives aren't godly wanting to get rid of this stuff and wanting to, wanting to get free of these things. I, I believe you do. You know, I think uh, most of us don't want to continually be ensnared by a besetting sin. I mean, that's, it's not enjoyable to, to keep hitting these things. But I think a lot of it comes from um, not just you being ignorant of the Word of God, but just not being reminded of what God's Word says and being able to put some things into place, including myself, uh, that will enable us to live a life and be able to, hopefully by God's grace, Get some freedom in these areas. How do we do this? Well, first of all, I've titled this message this morning as The Godly Man's Way. Um, when I say godly man's way, I don't mean we're excluding women. Um, I just think, you know, in Scripture, a lot of times it uses that. Uh, but it's in a generic sense this morning. And when, God's, when God speaks this through His Word, or He says, My Son, uh, he, it's really it's speaking to all of us. Uh, speaking the Word of God, that we all take that 
personally, his daughter, his son, um, that God loves you and has died for you and has sent his son to bear the full weight of his wrath so you can be redeemed. You're a child of God. And this is really what he's dealing with. And the first point this morning is really uh, was, is seen in Proverbs 3, verse 1, where he says, My son, forget not my law. So we want to be ones that don't forget. This is a huge, huge, huge thing with the Lord seen throughout the entire body of Scripture. Uh, God says that a lot. To remember, to remember, to remember the covenant, to remember these things. And why, why, why is there so much um, emphasis on remembering? Because we forget. We forget. We're, we're forgetful sheep, right? We, we forget things. God says in Proverbs 3.1, My son, forget not my law. But then God always has a remedy. He just doesn't say don't do something. There's always a reason and a motive behind it. There's a presupposition that's behind that uh, for the motive and why we, we do what we do. He's telling us not to forget my law, but he says, But let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. He is a brief, quick, um, short synopsis of what happens to a person who doesn't forget God's law, uh, who meditates upon his law day and night, who, 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 whose affections are in the right spot. And the heart, he's not just talking about an outwards performance, but he's talking about the inward man who is, who is upholding the commands of God. And don't take this every time you hear the law or command, you think in a legalist, legalistic sense. Nowhere, nowhere uh, here is it saying that you've got to do something to be saved or to remain saved. What we're saying is that if you're truly converted, you're going to love God's law. You're going to love every portion of his word. You're going to love God's word. You're going to love to uphold his law. The law no longer threatens you anymore. Why? Because you're no longer under the wrath of God. But the law of God, even to the psalmist, was a delight. Why? Because you've been delivered out from the bondage of your own sin, which the law magnified and showed us our necessity of Christ. We have been delivered. So we can honestly say we've been delivered, not that we hate the law, but so we can keep the law. Not to be saved, but we honor the law. You know, we don't lie anymore because we've been converted. Why don't we lie? Because God's not a liar. And the Bible says in Ephesians that we're to be imitators of who? Satan? No. Imitators of the world? No. Imitators of Hollywood superstars? No. It says we're to be imitators of God. And God's not a liar, nor should we be a liar. Because we don't want to blaspheme the name of our Lord. So you understand where the motives come from. is not you're just trying to be a good person and be a good religious person trying to be a Mormon. If the, the reality is, is that you are not doing these things because your motivation lies in the fact that you're imitating Almighty God. John Gill, the commentator, writes, he says, My son, forget not my law. Or, he says, doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, the gospel, and the several, several truths of it, which being of the utmost moment and importance, should be kept in memory and let not slip or be in the least slighted and neglected. Forgetting is usually due to a lack of priority. Do you realize that? That when you forget something, most of the time, 
obviously there are mistakes that we all make. We all forget stuff, you know. But the reality is, it's usually based. It boiled down to a lack of priority. You hear people say, "Well, I'm very bad at remembering names." How many people have said that? I've heard other people say that, right? And they use that excuse. I'm just really bad at remembering names. But in reality, it's not that they are bad. It's just that they don't make it a priority. You can remember. You can remember a lot of things. You can remember the names of movies. You remember the name of actors. But you can't remember the name of other people. There seems to be a, a different interest here. And so we can't um, always make that excuse. The same uh, is with God's word. Forgetting God's word or to make God's word a priority in our lives or not making it a priority in our lives can have very damaging results. Forgetting God's word and not making it a priority in our lives, there's that excuse that you're just not good at it or you know it's, it's not going to fly because you know what's going to happen? You're going to see the, the, the reality of that in your own life. And the way that you deal with life, the way you look at life, and your reoccurring issues. Your reoccurring issues really can go right back to your forgetfulness of the things of God and the Word of God and your lack of desire to make God's Word priority in your life. Look at this in Psalms 119, verse 9. The psalmist asked a question. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I mean, a million people write books, right, how to, how to obtain purity, how to get deliverance from porn, and all these things that are out there. But the Bible answers, answers it quite simply. How can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by keeping it according to your word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And then in 11 he says, your word have I hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. That's God's remedy in a nutshell. You don't have to read 30 books. You can just go right here. How do I keep my, my life pure? It's not just by reading the word, but it's, it, it, it's about um, hiding the word of God in your heart and being able to pull up those resources as a preventative power of God to keep you from doing those things that you know you should be doing. And that's a true reality. God lays it out right there. If purity is your problem this morning, if you're struggling with purity in those areas, the answer to that is it's very simple. And, I, and I'm not saying that your situation isn't complex because remember, I mean, people generally, you know, addiction really, you know, th there's many definitions around addiction. Okay, and addiction can come from um, trauma. You know, someone's been very traumatized. They've been hurt very badly. And their, um, you know, their, their go-to, you know, or their temporary way to medicate themselves can come in all shapes and sizes, right? We all know that. And a lot of times people um, with their addictions show that they're, in need of relief. Presuppositionally, looking at the unsaved world, they have problems that they have to deal with. And a lot of times, they turn to chemicals. They turn to other things to be able to uh, 
temporarily medicate themselves or eliminate their problems or have some place not to where they're going to just get high and they're looking to feel good. A lot of times the addictions are no more than them just trying to feel normal. Trying to feel normal. Like I, I'm not addicted to this particular drug because I like being high. I take this because I just want to feel like me. I want to feel like a normal functioning person. So we have to look at all these things in context. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're going to find the total and complete answer is this, is that we need to make God's word priority in our lives. All the other stuff comes from the breaking down of the body, the breaking down of the mind. Sins come into the world. We've got to, we've, we, we're going to need medicine. We're going to need help. We're going to need counselors. We need people to talk to. Don't get me wrong. Those are all things that are beautifully given to us by the grace of God. But the reality is that if we're not making God's word priority, you're never truly going to get any kind of true deliverance. And that's the truth. That's the truth. So hide God's word in your heart. Get in the habit of not just looking at the, the Bible like a, like a dry phone book or an encyclopedia, but look at it as if though God is speaking to you and let those words come off the pages directly into your heart and let them, that let them just resonate and stew in your being. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What happens is in the neglect of the word of God, we regard everything else. And we're wondering why we just can't seem to get free. Why can't I get free of this, this, this continual besetting sin? It's because you have regarded other things above the Lord. And the Lord doesn't hear us based, based upon that reality. Second Peter uh says, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. You'll never stumble. He's not saying keep all these laws and you'll never stumble. He's saying add to your faith these virtues. Add to your faith. Add to your arsenal. Add to the preventative measures that you can walk in that beauty. You know, the Bible says in, in, in Proverbs that a clean conscience is a continual feast. A clean conscience. I don't care how much financial struggles you have or the problems that you're going through. If you have a clean conscience, there's always going to be a continual feast there. There's going to be a way that you're able to deal with things if your conscience is clean. Now, if your conscience isn't clean, other things piling on top of that just amplifies it and makes it a thousand times worse. Even Christ himself gives us the perfect example in, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, 
uh, during our Lord's temptation in the wilderness. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was really, really hungry. I added in the really, really, because I can only imagine not eating for 40 days how hungry I would be. I, don't, I, guess I starve, I don't eat for one day. Watch out, you know. Here comes binging Jeff. It says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then it says the devil left him and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. I love it because obviously we know the whole garden aspect of this story and how the first Adam failed and the last Adam succeeded. We get all that. But in reality, I love how Christ puts himself out there as an example on how to overcome how to overcome these things, how to properly deal with the enemy when he visits you and begins to tempt you and begins to put those things out in front of you, those stumbling blocks over and over and over again. Jesus didn't just sit there and stomp his foot and, and, and say, get out of here, Satan. No, he, he dealt with them through the word of God, almost legally through the word of God. He just recited what the word of God said. Satan came at him with the word that was lies. It was misinterpretation. Christ came with the right interpretation and destroyed him to the point where he was removed. And the ministers came, the, the angels came and they ministered to Christ. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with temptation also make a way of escape that she may be able to bear it. This is the reality of, of the saint. And I, I, I know a lot of times we read these things, I've read these things, and when you're in the midst of struggling, you're in the midst of an addiction, you're in the midst of trying to get some kind of deliverance, um, you, you see these scriptures, but sometimes you just wonder, um, is this attainable? Having this life, is it attainable? Is, 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 can I really live a life... Um, that's free. And can I tell you, there was, there was a time in my life where I wasn't free. And I was the type of guy that was addicted to everything. And I have a very addictive personality um, to the point to where, you know, something tastes good, watch out. You know what I mean? Um, but it was, it, was, it was even when I became a Christian for the first time, I came into a very false view of Christianity. I was... Uh, I was subjected to a lot of, of the craziness that goes a lot goes on in a lot of the Americanized churches, um, and for the first six years of my Christian faith, I was just an addict in many forms. 
Um, and I tried everything, but my gospel was a behavior gospel. Good behavior, you're saved. You have bad behavior, you're not saved. Right? It's all based on your behavior. It was a behavior gospel, which is a false damnable gospel, by the way. Um, it was be good and you're saved. Do bad, you lose your salvation. Right? And that's really the gospel that I thought was real. And so I lived my life in that way. A bunch of do's and don'ts. Calendars. Checked off this day. Made it through another day. Made it through another day. Made it through another day. Lost my salvation. Got my salvation back. Lost it. It was, just, it was a continual uh, misery. It was misery. And there's no deliverance in that. There's no escaping that. There's no getting out of that. But I'm afraid a lot of times, even those of us who call ourselves reformed, still fall into the same trap of that style of thinking of the gospel. You still live under that false gospel in your living. You still live that way, right? You constantly think that, you know, um, these verses sound great, you know, or you have a good day where you will have a great day and you think you're great with God and then you'll fall into a sin and you think you're lost or whatever and you beat yourself up. You stay free for a couple weeks and bang, you're right back down into the hole again and you're wondering how on earth can this cycle break? How can this cycle break? You know how it broke for me? And I, listen, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm free from uh, sin by any means. But what I'm saying is some of those things that had me around the throat is when I stopped trying to stop them. When I stopped trying being to be good enough and I stopped sitting there trying to keep score all the time because that was just driving it and stirring up the sin and making it worse. It was the moment I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I can't do this. And it was that very moment, believe it or not, is when I realized I can't do this is when I started walking in freedom. I started walking in freedom. But also there was preventative measures that had to be taken place as well. And that's putting stuff into place so we can persevere. But I'll tell you one thing, it helps to have the right gospel. You need the, the gospel of grace, the, the, the grace that the sovereign Lord grants us through his mercy. Okay, it's not something you can pick up and set down at your own free will. Trust me, if you live that way, you will be living a lie. And it will just drive, make your sin worse. And it will drive you utterly insane. It will drive you insane. It's like being a Muslim. It's like any other religion. You're just trying to be good enough to get to heaven and it will never happen. And it brings a reproach to Christ. hope that makes sense. Obviously, God's way of escape is the godly man's way. And that is providing us with his word and the power of walking and keeping in step with the Spirit of God. That's where it's at. It's walking and keeping in step with the power of God. It doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. But it changes the way that you view life in your own life. That God's gracious power is granted to you. I'll tell you what, the most free person is the one that realizes that their sins have been forgiven. You understand that? When you see your gross and vile sin and you think that you have to deal with that and you have to make yourself better, it never works. But when you realize that the saving power of God's grace through Christ Jesus is infinite, that that, that Christ and his our infinite sin 
it, it deserved an infinite sacrifice. And Christ came and set us free. When you see that, first of all, you see your sin for what it truly is. Radically rebellious in the face of God and extremely gross and defiant. But then you realize that despite myself, God saved me anyway. You walk away from that and it's a freedom that allows you to overcome besetting sin. But if you keep going back to the performance gospel and the behavior gospel, you're just going to keep repeating those same patterns over and over and over again. Uh, the religious right, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do this. Uh, it just doesn't work. But trusting in the simple gospel of grace and realizing first and foremost what you've been saved from and realizing that you can't save yourself, you can't even sanctify yourself. And that's through the power of God's grace as well. We have to understand that. And a lot of people people get offended because I'm not giving you something else. Like, well, what about this? What about that? Well, you know what? I'm telling you that the gospel has enough power to not only save you, but also keep you and transform you into a holy, loving, uh, faithful, loyal follower of Christ. Now, we each get a measure of faith. and We're not judging ourselves with another person. This person may be growing super slow. This person may be growing super fast. We're each given a measure of faith. So we want to be guardians of that truth and what God has given us and walk in that and not to judge the other person where they're at. Because it's easy to do, to think more highly of ourselves. And we'll deal with that here really quickly. So let us not be guilty of forgetting God's word. But instead, let our hearts... Keep his commandments. This is one route of those who will live godly lives and will enjoy the peace of God, the true peace of God. Jude one twenty four says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Philippians 4.7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Second point is, do uh, not forsake. Do not forget. Do not forsake. Do not forsake God's mercy and truth. Another uh, version says steadfast love. Proverbs 3, 3 says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about your neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. The Bible says in Proverbs that if you're a man given over to your appetites, put a knife to your throat. But here the scriptures are saying something as to putting a necklace around your throat instead of a knife. And that necklace is the beautiful reminder to us from God to remember his commandments. We are not to forget and we are not to forsake. Remember, if you are forgetting the first command of this verse, you will be definitely forsaking. Uh, you only forsake when you forget. When you're not thinking about something, you're walking away from something, it's at least from your mind. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Do not forget them. Keep them in memory and always retain a hearty affection for them. God is big on reminders. God is big on reminders. This comment carries a similar message as in Deuteronomy 6.8. The little interpretation of that instruction is this was for Israel to, to bind his commands as a sign on the hand and on the frontlets between the eyes, which were called tefillim or phylacteries, which the Jews would wear upon their foreheads and on their arms, 
uh, led the Jews to copy uh, their certain text of scripture, put them in a leather case, and tie the case to the left arm and forehead at the time of prayer, showing their absolute seriousness of what they were doing. Upon the eyes, basically, were the organs of direction in walking and moving. And so on the forehead was the chamber of thought and purpose. And they were also to inscribe them on the post of their houses and on the gates. I mean, do you get the point what's going on here? God is saying that, listen, you are sinful people and you need a lot of reminding. You know, this world is going to enslave you, it's going to entrap you, it's going to sabotage you, it's going to set all kinds of traps for you, all kinds of things are going to happen. A lot of voices around you are really wanting and complaining for your attention. You know, you're going to have to set up boundaries. You're going to have to put things in place so you don't stumble, so you don't fall. You're going to have to put in preventative measures. And we're dealing here, obviously, not just with the physical reminders, but he's using that analogy as for inward reminders of the heart. Think of what it was, you know, when you deal with, when you, first of all, they're dealing with the with the hands and, 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 and the thoughts and the purposes of the mind, but also dealing with the mezuzah, which was a parchment that they would place um, outside or inside of their door. And which what that was is a parchment uh, with 713 words from Deuteronomy, both Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, and chapter 11, 13 through 21, uh, which is more, most commonly known as a Shema, respectively. And within this verse, there is, literal, there is a literal commandment to inscribe them upon the doorpost of your home and upon your gates. little interesting information about the parchment of the mezuzah. The parchment is prepared and written by a scribe who was called a sophir, in indelible black ink with a special quill pen. It must be written on parchment made from the skin of a kosher animal. Interesting. Such as a cow or a sheep or even a goat. It is customary to inscribe the, the back of the parchment with the Hebrew word Shaddai, which means almighty. And it's one of the many names for God in the Bible. But it also serves as an acronym, which means guardians of the doors of Israel. Just think about, you know, the, the, these different ways in which, you know, God had, had, had really laid upon his people to remember the word of God. To think highly of the word of God. So much so that you're going to literally, you know, put it in the middle of your, at your head and upon your hands. I mean, this was, this was very serious stuff. In the Hebrew Bible, the Lord spoke to Moses, instructing him to tell the Israelites to even make tassels, which are called zitzit, on the corners of their garments to help them to what? Remember all of the commandments of the Lord and not just to remember them, but to keep them, which you see in Numbers 15, 37 through 40, as a sign of holiness. God's always been about his people walking in holiness. Always been about that reality that his people would testify. Why does God want people to walk holy? What's the point? Just so you can look good in front of other people? Is that why? So you can look good and, and have your ministry and all these neat things about you? No, holiness is a reflection of God. And God living with his people and making his presence known to the world around us, that we're different, 
that we are a different people. We have been transformed by the living God. Therefore, we testify of that reality to the world around us. And also an encouragement to the body of Christ. But ultimately, at the end of the day, while we have all of these other things like seats and tassels and mezuzahs and these things that, that the Lord has given his people to remind them, we see a New Testament uh, really application of this, a New Testament manifestation of this reality that we read in uh, John 16, 8 through 11, where the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. He says, and he has come, okay? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Interestingly enough, God has granted us his Holy Spirit to convict us, to remind us, uh, to enable us, and to carry us through. I mean, I'm not going to wear the tassels. I mean, I have the Spirit of God. We've got to remember this. Whatever Christ kept, whatever commandment he kept, whatever uh, commandments from the Old Testament that were given to the people, Christ kept every jot and tittle. He kept every law. He satisfied the law of God completely. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, everything that Christ has or has is transferred to your account. So if Christ wore seat and tassels, guess what? You're wearing seat and tassels spiritually through Christ because he satisfied God on our behalf. He met those commands. He satisfied those commands on the behalf of of his people. And now we have the spirit of God that does dictate us and convict us about our behavior, that we live holy. Not so you can have good behavior to be saved, but good behavior to reflect the reality that you've been converted and that you love God and you're in relationship to God. It's in this verse that Solomon continues and counsels a student to always value steadfast love and faithfulness. The Hebrew word translated steadfast love, if you're reading from the ESV, um, it means loyalty to one's covenant, the kind of love that is reflected in the lives of people who remain true to their marriage vows. And this is the idea that we get here um, when the scriptures are telling us, uh, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the table of your heart. This is the idea. It's really a marriage reality. It's a picture of marriage is what it is. It's this love for your God in which your love for God is so, um, is so heavy that it outweighs everything else in your life. It, it, it's like, man, I love God more than I love participating in this grind. And there's a relational aspect there, a marriage relation going on here, this mindset that God wants us to be in relationship to him. I mean, a real relationship. I believe uh, Brother Spencer was talking about, he prayed this morning for intimacy with God. You don't hear that very much anymore. Uh, but that that is the key point. I mean, when you're intimate with God, when you're intimate with him, there is a different way in which we walk, the way that we perceive the world, the problems and the things that we get caught up in. When there's true intimacy with our Lord, 
Uh, those things aren't as difficult to walk away from. But when we have, like I said at the beginning, we have stepped away from that, we start going our own way, we notice that our life falls into all kinds of problems. So we need to let these be the consistent companions through our life and our motivation. Brings us to, uh, to the third point. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. This is extremely important because we want to make sure that every single route we take in all of our ways, because he says very clearly here, your ways, the ways of the godly man, every single way, every single thing that we do, we want to make sure that we are acknowledging the Lord. I don't care what it is because if we can't acknowledge the Lord in those areas, it's probably a good idea that we shouldn't be following those ways, period. So we want to put in these preventative measures. So now when we, when we leave this church today and we find ourselves face to face with those sins that so easily come back and beset us, we'll have something already in place to be able to walk freely through that without getting entangled in that sin again. It could be anything. Just not just sexual. It could be it could be food. Um, you know, it could be uh, many many different areas of our lives. It could be anger. It could it could be an addiction to this or this or that. It all basically is the same root cause. So what we want to do is we want to set up preventative measures. So when these things do come, you've already have your life set up in such a way where you know you're going to be successful in your walk with Christ. I know when I get in that car, blah, blah, blah is going to happen. Well, how about this? If you know you're going to get in that car and blah, blah, blah is going to happen, why not prepare your car in such a way where it doesn't happen? If there's certain places you're going to go today, or there's certain things you're going to do online that are going to create an issue with you, falling into that same thing, well then prepare a way that will eliminate that. Or put in those preventative measures now, today, before you even get to that point. So you know that there is a place of safety for you that's going to keep you in line where you need to be. And you'll have that clean conscience, which is a continual feast. Which is a lot better place to be than when you fall back into that sin. And you've got to deal with all that guilt and all that shame again. You've got to heal from that, repent of that, and start all over again. Does that make sense? The Bible says it brings health to our navel and marrow to our bones, life to our lives. Basically, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Walking this way with Christ brings health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It's just a beautiful illustration that God gives us. Fourth point is uh, honor God with everything. We're, we're just about finished here. Honor God with everything. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Very practical advice here. This isn't necessarily a tithing verse, which a lot of people will focus on to get money. But the reality is here, it's showing the, the, your heart. See, it's, it's what takes first place. See, God wants to be the only one in your life. 
He doesn't want to be first. Doesn't want to be second. When you say I have something second or I am second, what you're saying is you just put God on the shelf and you've lined yourself up next to God. God doesn't want to be first. He wants to be only. He wants to be everything. He wants to be your all. He doesn't want to be in lineup with your idols. He wants to be everything. And out of that, obviously, comes other relational views, other things that, that, you know, are subservient to that relationship that you have with the Lord. It drives me crazy when, you know, you hear these people that come out and they'll say things like, you know, I am second, I am second. Well, I am nothing. I'm nothing. I'm not even second. I'm not third. I'm not fourth. I'm, not, I'm, I'm absolutely nothing when it comes to my comparison with God. What am I? Tenth? That's prideful. I'm not tenth. I'm nothing. I'm zero. Okay? How is that? How about getting a little wristband that says, I am zero? <laughs> or how about every day is a Monday? How's that? That'd be a good book. Never sell, would it? <laughs> Never sell. Every day, every day, listen, you become a Christian, a true Christian, every day is Monday. It's not every day is a Friday. Joel Osteen's wrong. <laughs> Paul talks about the law of sowing and reaping in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, God loves a cheerful giver. While encouraging the believers in Corinth to give generously, Paul didn't want them to give beyond their means, reluctantly or under compulsion. Most importantly, he wanted them to rely on their own inner convictions. This passage and this devotional are reminders that God is more concerned about the motives of our heart than our actions. Don't give if you're going to gripe about it. You know, but also the Bible says if you see someone in need and you don't give, it's sin. You know, we don't want to be guilty of that either. Don't, don't be a hoarder. Okay? Don't be the Scrooge. When you give, you give freely. Once you give, you forget about it. You don't go back and say, oh, what about this and what about that? No, I mean, once you give, you give unto the Lord. I mean, there's times many of us won't give to the guy on the street, right? The, the homeless guy, why? Because we all think the guy's a shyster, right? Con man, why give to the guy? You're just going to support his lifestyle. He's probably drinking, doing drugs. Okay, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But when you let that money go out of your hand, it's out of your hand. You didn't give based on the fact that the guy's going to go buy drugs. You gave because you love God and you care for people. So it's out of your hands at that point. He's responsible for what he does with the money. The reality was you gave out of a heart that wanted to give and were cheerful about it. God's looking at your heart as well. It's just not just you giving something to somebody and then watching that person, tracking that person to see what they do with the money. That's not what it is. It's really about you. It's really about you and your giving. Do you give? It's sobering and no one likes to talk about it, but it's like, I don't like to talk about it. Especially when you're behind the pulpit, right? You always get a, uh-oh, we know where he's going here. But the reality is, is it's true. God loves generosity. Those who are born again are generous people. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You can be generous with your time, your skills, your talents, your abilities, your love. You can reach out to people. You can be there for people. It's true. And generous people are like that. They're benevolent. We're, as Christians, we're to be benevolent, hospitable. And this is really what he's saying here, that honor God with everything. Everything. Not just what we think we want to honor God with, but honor God with everything. And he says here, um, first fruits. That means the first of everything. The best. 
you want to get right down to it, it's really giving God your very best. We can go into the whole sacrificial system, but we're not going to, and how people gave sacrifices the, the best of their stock. And it really is important that we understand this concept of, of giving. And the last point, which is despise not God's correction. And this is a this is I mean, in the totality and summation of what we were we, we were talking today as the living uh, uh, as a godly person before God, uh, is all of these things are so important. And you can't take anything out of these, the equation here. You have to understand that we're not to forget God, okay? We forget Him, we forsake Him. We're not to forsake truth or His steadfast love. We're to remember to trust in the Lord. And we're to honor God with everything in our lives, okay? We want to honor Him. We want to be honorable. Life's short. You're not going to take all your junk with you anyways, so let things freely pass out of your hands. And they say what? God will pass things freely from his hands into your hands when needed. Despise not the chastening of the Lord. We heard that this morning. I believe Brother Josh was talking about the chastening of the Lord, the correction of God. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as the Father, the Son, whom he delights. This is the way of a godly man and a woman. Don't take your correction as an insult. When God corrects you or he thinks something's just not right for you or you're not getting what you want, Americans are spoiled. Okay, We don't know the first thing about real persecution in this country or real want. Okay, I mean, I'm not saying that you guys have not been in a place of real want, not been struggling. I'm not just making a blanket statement. But the reality is most people in America have not really gotten to the point where they're used to going without. Everything's convenience. We live in a throwaway culture. You don't like it, just throw it away and get something else. Right? That's the way it is. It's the way it is on social media. You don't like this guy. You don't like what he says. Just ban. Don't just ban him. Delete him. Block him. That's just the way we live. You know? And then we try that in real life relationships. You get in a conflict with another person. You leave the church. Because you just don't know how to have a conversation. You don't know how to communicate. You don't know how to handle conflict. So you just leave. You just you just cancel people. And this is where we live today. We've got to get beyond that. When God corrects us and he brings chastisement into our lives, realize honestly it's for our own good. And it hurts and it's painful. But we still must trust God through all of this. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30 it says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ is the Alpha and Omega of our lives. He's went through it all so we too can learn how to live this godly life, live a life of godliness to please our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we're thankful just for the simple application of the Proverbs that are just so straightforward, Lord. But Lord, I ask God that we would not just forget what we've heard. That there's those of us today in this place are, are really sick and tired of repeating the same failures over and over and over again. Thinking that there's no remedy. That I'm just a hopeless cause. Nothing will ever change with me. I just can't do this. And you're right. You can't. Lord, let us start there this morning and knowing full well that you can. 
Let us give up, Lord. Let us let go. Lord, an appeal to you that you would step in and give us the ability where we have none. Help us to walk in a way that honors you, Lord, with everything that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen, and so be it. Please.